Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowlers. Well, thank you for joining me today. This is episode number three of the North American Waterfowler, but the first episode that I've ever posted publicly. And I am so excited to be starting this podcast for you waterfowlers. This podcast is really intended for hardcore waterfowlers that are just eaten up by the sport. Because together, we do make up the North American Waterfowlers, which is why I named it this title. And like on the intro, there is something really, really special about a North, the North American waterfowler. It's different than the guys from other countries. I have talked to people from New Zealand. I've talked to people from France. I've talked to people from Australia. And all of them hold this regard for North American waterfowlers as a sacred, special thing. Kind of like, this is probably overstating a bit, kind of like Jedi Knights. America is a unique country. And us North American waterfowlers are a unique breed. Two days from now, it's going to be snowing anywhere from three to eight inches. Temperatures are going to be negative five. Wind's going to be blowing 25 miles an hour with gusts up to 45. Wind chills negative 35. I'm going hunting. Golden eye, golden boy and I are going to do it. We're going. And we're not just going. We're not sheepishly going. We're diving into it. We're excited about it. That is the North American waterfowler. And you guys are listening. You're just like that. I know you are. And so that's what this podcast represents. The essence of this podcast is that we are North American waterfowlers. So thank you for joining me. If you do want to get the first two episodes and 
a good portion of these episodes. I'm going to have a lot of them public for you guys here. I'm going to have a lot public. But there's going to also be a lot of really cool podcasts that I put on Patreon. Because I've got a lot of guys there that I've been neglecting too much that need more content. And, I, and this is something I want to do for them. I want to give them more exclusive comment that, content that I've been promising them. So some of these episodes are going to be at patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. This is a great way that you can help support me and what I'm doing. If that's not for you, don't worry about it. No problem. I'm going to be bringing content to you here. After you like, listen to this episode. If you like it, make sure that you give a rating and let me know what you think. Cause this is the very first podcast that's going to be public. That is being public is being posted publicly for all of you. So the topic today is shot selection, and we're going to go really, really in-depth with this because shot selection has been talked about a lot, and we're going to hit some topics in some areas that I, maybe you and your friends have never thought about. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. I don't hear it talked about a lot, but we're going to go in-depth on this shot selection mentality of other hunters, why it's important, wounded loss, what you can do to have less wounded loss, what you can do to be a better shooter so you have less wounded loss. We're going to hit all these topics. We're going to talk about value of the duck and what it's worth. How valuable is an every independent duck? Is there any value at all? Are they just like a piece of paper that can be crinkled up and thrown away or do they actually hold some value? We're going to talk about that in great detail as well. So thank you for being here as we kick off this episode of North American Waterfowler. I think the vast, vast majority of duck hunters shoot too far shots. And maybe not on shot one, maybe not on shot two, it's that shot three. And that's one of the things that I had seen in that article I read from Texas, Department Wildlife and Parks, like how do you limit wounded game It's shot three? When I learned how to, and I'm no saint, I make mistakes too. So don't take this as me saying I'm perfect on it, but, but I've worked on it and I think about it. And when I started charting my shooting percentage, I was about a 40 four and a half percent shooter. And I went from 44 and a half percent shooter to a 50% shooter lifetime, almost strictly by limiting that third shot, almost exclusively. Those, if, if the bird's not wounded, just because you fire shot one and shot two does not mean that you need to fire shot, fire shot three. And I'm not advocating for this, but I think probably the number one way to limit wounded birds is make people um, shoot over-unders, two shotguns. That third shot, I mean, we all know, you miss shot one, you miss shot two, and you should have killed them, and you're mad at yourself, you're upset, you don't want the bird to get away, and you fire Hail Mary. And that Hail Mary, those birds are eating steel. They're eating steel. Um, I, I do think that the vast majority of duck hunters consistently shoot some shots they shouldn't shoot. In fact, when I was a lot younger, 
this was stupid on me on my part. And I hope it doesn't make anyone in here angry because I was dumb of me to do, but I posted on a forum and the title of the thread was 85% of all duck hunters are skybusters. <laughs> I had gotten back from a hunt and I can remember the hunt vividly. And I'd been on a series of hunts and I think that I had just been witnessing a lot of skybusting and I was just tired of it. I was on a, I was on a solo hunt and I watched these guys in a boat blunt, just like scatter birds all over the place. And I was just so sickening. And then I turned on a, a duck hunting TV show. And in my opinion, they were skybusting. Now, were they, now that I've run cameras, I understand that cameras don't aren't always the best gauge of distance. And so I was young and I was probably being a little foolish, but I was fed up with skybusting. I was just done with it. I was fed up with it. But, um, and so I, I was just done with skybusting. And so I posted on the, the forums, 85% of all duck hunters are skybusters. And let's just say that the people on the forum didn't have much tolerance for that opinion. <laughs> and so it was an absolute bloodbath. But I, I, my thing, this is a big thing with me, is that shot selection is something that is not thought about often enough. It's something that needs to be in our mind, something that we need to be thinking about a lot, a lot. Um, and so I, I want to try to bring it up as, as much as I can. I really do because I want people to think about it more often. I want people to think about if I shoot this shot, am I going to wound the bird? And some people just are cold blooded and that's, that's just their nature. And they don't care about wounding birds that much. I mean, they do every, no one wants to wound birds. Nobody wants to wound birds, but how many of us does it actually affect your emotions when you wound and lose birds? Some, a lot of us it does, but a lot of us, I don't think that it does either. A lot of us don't maybe value the life of a duck. Where in like the deer hunting community, I think everyone values wounded and lost deer, but I don't think everyone values wounded and lost ducks. And for me, when I started hunting, I have, and it's honestly, it's not something that I really like to share about because it's not overly manly, but I was very, very tenderhearted. And I remember when I went on one of the very first hunts, um, a dove hunt with my dad and I can't, and, and I was seeing a lot of wounded doves and it really, really was affecting me like way more so than what I think a normal, like, I think I was far on the scale of sensitivity to wounded doves. I remember having them in my hands and seeing their little face and seeing their eyes blinking. And it was just very, very difficult for me. I had never seen animals dying. I had never seen um, death like that. And so when I started seeing it, it really, really negatively affected me to the point which I remember laying in my bed at night. Well, I was probably 13 and my dad had taken me dove hunting and I was feeling so bad about seeing all these wounded birds that I was laying there in bed at night and I was going to tell my dad I couldn't hunt, that I didn't want to hunt. 
because it made me feel so bad. And I didn't think God, and chances are, even if I had done that, even if I had, I probably would have still hunted. But just to give you a little background on how tender-hearted I was at that age. So I understand, like, I'm way tilted on the side of it. Where some people, they can kill an animal, it doesn't affect them, doesn't make them feel bad. I'm not at the point in my life now, it does not make me feel bad. But for a long time, especially teal, when I would get that little teal in my hand, that little blue wing, oh my gosh, what an adorable little creature that is. And I had to break its little neck with my hands. It was very, very upsetting to me. It just was. And it's something that I had to, I had to get over. So I understand that I'm like way tilted to one side as far as sensitivity towards wounded birds. But everybody, I think almost, I don't know what percent you guys think, but to me, almost probably 100% of your hunters feel that way. Like if you wound a deer and it gets away, it really wrecks your day. It's like the, so people are taking the value of a life of a deer and holding it way up high. And yet the life of a duck is not held at the same degree that the life of a deer is. And so why, why is that? What about a deer's life? And I, and I think that you guys probably agree with me on that. If it may, maybe you don't that people genuinely value the life of a deer at a much, much higher level than the life of a duck. So then why, why is that? Is it because it's a mammal? Is it because it's a bigger creature with a bigger brain? How much more intelligent is a deer than a duck? Is it about intelligence? Because we used to think that birds were not that intelligent, but more modern day research around ravens and crows are showing that their intellect is way up there with mammals. I mean, there are crows and ravens that you that will use tools that to escape different obstacles or different they set up tests and and ravens and crows will actually use tools to acquire get food and they, they set up experiments and stuff so i don't i don't is a deer that much more intelligent than a mallard duck mallard ducks seem pretty intelligent or maybe it's just instincts i don't know deer certainly have a bigger brain maybe it is because they're cuter but ducks are plenty cute so we just have to stop and think if we're valuing the life of a deer here why is it that we don't value the life of a duck at the same level? Because the type of shot selection that people are taking, making towards ducks, they're not generally going to make those same type of shots towards deer because of that imbalance of, of how much do I value their life? And these are conversations. I mean, ha have you ever heard anyone having these types of conversations just discussing it? I think it's something that needs to be discussed and talked about. I mean, how much, how much value is a duck's life worth? It's obviously not worth enough that we don't care about wounding some. We all do it. Every one of us. I've lost five ducks this year. How many have I wounded that I don't even know about? Way more than five, right? So obviously I feel like it's more, it's okay for me to do what I do. I'm willing to, Accept a certain number of wounded and suffering ducks to do what we do. So where is the, where is that line though? Like how much is to the point where it's not acceptable anymore, right? How much is it 
I don't know. But I just, I really, one thing with this podcast is I, I, I don't want to just harp on it all the time because I don't want to seem self-righteous about it. It's just, it's just things that I've thought about that I realize I don't hear other people thinking and talking about. Maybe I'm sure some of you guys probably have thought about this stuff. I can tell you, I've never, ever heard another podcast where people are talking about it. So it seems to me that it's not a commonly talked about thing. This topic of a, of a duck's life. I think a duck's life is valuable enough to not shoot a third shot unless it's a high quality shot or I'm fully confident I will kill a duck on that shot. My shooting selection revolves around this. When I pull the trigger, if I miss, am I going to be mad at myself? If I'm not going to be mad at myself for, for missing, I shouldn't have taken the shot. Because being mad at yourself when you miss means it's a high-quality, high-percentage shot. And that's when you want to take. And I joke about this. Golden Boy and I joke about it. If you're in a blind and you hear the phrase, what do you think? Well, should we try them? <laughs> the answer is no. We should not try them. Because that phrase means they're out too far. Should we just throw up a Hail Mary? That's what that phrase means. I'm going to read you guys some comments that I got on some of my YouTube channels that I thought were interesting that go into this topic. And again, I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. If, if you can't put them here, feel free to put them in the Patreon page comment section. And we can have a discussion there because I would love to talk with more people about on, on this topic. But let me read to you some comments that I just found interesting that I wrote down. So on a video that came out just recently, I put a Golden Boy's video on. And in this video of Golden Boy, I don't know if you guys saw it or not. It was actually a repost from his channel. I posted a video of his best hunt, best duck hunting video I've ever seen, I feel like. Ducks pouring in at sunset. I'm, I'm sunrise. I mean, pouring in. If you have not seen it, I think the, the title of it is something like best duck hunt of your lifetime. And it was. There were so many ducks decoying in that Aiden froze. This was not a situation, I don't think, where he was consciously saying, I'm not going to shoot. He froze because what he was seeing was so spectacular that he could do nothing but sit and gaze at it. And I could tell from the video, it brought him closer to God watching this experience. I know it did. I know him. I've talked to him about it. He was in such awe that all he did is watch. Now, he makes a mention of I didn't want to shoot more than one, but that wasn't why. He just wanted to see something that he had never seen in his life that was so mesmerizing and spectacular that killing a duck was absolutely secondary to what he was trying to do. And so he, these comments come from that video. He says, so many chances, so few shots. Why? Rick Cole says that. Billy Joe Bob says, bird watching expert, and I'm reading that in a sarcastic tone. I don't think that he meant, oh, you're a bird watching expert. <laughs> I think he was annoyed that Aiden wasn't shooting. And he said, bird watching expert. Jamie Hannah Duffy said, just shoot the ducks. If there are that many flying around, at least try to shoot the hard ones. Instead of waiting for one to land, not much fun in that. So this guy wanted him to intentionally take hard shots. 
what is the thought process that is take going on in that person's brain? Do you think that he has ever, ever thought about or considered the value of the life of a duck? In fact, all these guys that want to talk about water swatting and, and uh, oh, what are the verbiage that, that they use about it? Fair, give, fair, give them a fair chance. Where they're saying, don't water swat, intentionally make your shot more difficult. That person has never thought about the value of the life of an animal, of that animal. If you're going to sit on there and tell someone like Aiden that he has to intentionally shoot the harder shots, then to him, the value of the life of a duck is zero. And I think that they're a magnificent enough creature that we can all agree their value is not zero. Now, you may put their value at 2 out of 10. I may put their value at 7 out of 10 or wherever the scale is. It's not zero. But yet the guy watches the video and is put off by the fact that someone like Aiden would sit and just watch something that's mesmerizing them and bringing value to his life. I don't get it. I don't get it. So there's some more comments here. If you remember the hunts my dad and I went on with Ben out in Nebraska, and these were the top two teal hunts of my entire life. These hunts, they were from season six. First two hunts of season six. Georgie's, yeah, because Georgie's first and second hunt. These hunts were beyond remarkable because the way it was set up, if you haven't seen it, is this, this cornfield and the corn was uncut. And then you had these little ditches with water in them that were full of green vegetation of some type. I don't even know what the vegetation was. And we were so that we had a long stretch of about 150 yards in front of us that was coming right at us. And we sat, we were going to sit over to the left a little bit in this little pool, but this other guy was there. And the guy got quite aggressive. The guy went and brought, come and talk to our buddy Ben. He was like, chef, he was like, chest puffed out. And man, this guy was, you, if you haven't seen the video, you should go watch it. It's incredible. And so anyway, we didn't get to sit where we wanted. We were set at a dog leg, like an elbow. And so these teal would come straight at us, and they would dog leg either land in the decoys. We had the decoy set kind of, we had the kill spot right in the beginning of the dog leg of the elbow, and then decoys off to the left. But what they were doing, especially the second day with a little more wind, that was incredible. If you've ever seen Star Wars, the first Star Wars, where Luke is trying to destroy the Death Star. And the Death Star, in order to destroy the Death Star... The X-Wing fighters had to come down out of space and drop down into this little channel. Then they had to run this channel for a while, and they tried to, like, drop a bomb in a little hole, and then they went down and blew up the Death Star. Finally, Luke did it. And this is what that was like. Because these teal, you'd see several times. Did not all of them happen. There's a couple that stick out in my mind where these birds were 500 yards away, 100 yards up. And they would drop down... And they would, just like Luke did in the next one, they'd drop into that little channel. And you'd see them all banking right down into it, like 10 birds, 15 birds. And then they would come right at us. And I got some really good video of it. If you have not seen this video for a while. It's worth your second watch. It's a world-class teal hunting. And that visual of those birds doing that, dropping down into... You see, from those hunts, I, I don't remember... The specific trigger pulls that I had, what I remember is the birds in the air and what they were doing. 
And I remember joking with my dad. I remember joking with it. And I remember some of the shots only because I have them on video. And that's why I video is so I can remember that stuff. But I don't remember the actual kills, but the way the birds were acting. So on this hunt, it was Georgie's first and second hunt. Ben had a, gosh, I can never remember, Droth Jar. I can't, whatever type of upland bird that is. Awesome little dog. Second hunt. So we decided right off the bat, we're not going to just out pull the trigger like crazy. Ben had been scouting this place. It was a private place, which by the way, I had people shred me because I was hunting private land. I'm not subscribing to your channel. I thought you were a public land duck hunter. And like, dude, give me a freaking break. I can't take an invite from a friend. Anyway. And I lost my train of thought. Oh, we decided we we're going to take turns. There were so many too. We knew we could do it. We could have shot our limit in 10 minutes. No problem. But we said we we're going to take turns. And one person was going to shoot one bird. And we never actually said this because Fumbles did shoot a double. But just kind of how it turned out is that one person would drop a bird. Georgie would go and get it, bring it back, reset. Then maybe it'd be my turn to shoot. I'd shoot a bird. Ben Stog would go get it and back and reset. And we went slow and methodical. And instead of taking 15 minutes to shoot our limit, it took an hour. So we took a 15-minute experience where so many people are shooting so fast and so Crazy and and peep. That's when birds get lost for sure, because it's like duck dropping there, duck dropping there, teal dropping there, teal dropping there. Teal, I mean, it's like becomes so much chaos that your heart is just pounding. Your heart's pounding, and when you're done, you don't remember anything. It's too much. It's stimulus overload. And so, if you take a 15 minute teal hunt and you make it an hour or an hour and 25 minute teal hunt, then you guys know the enjoyment goes way through the roof. The retention of the memories sticks too. And I'm working this high-powered dog for the first time who I'm representing the company. So I want to make sure that everything's permanent proper. I'm doing this right. And so it was perfect. It was perfect. The second day, Fumbles and Ben went 12 for 12. And I think I was like six for eight. Like as a group, we missed two shots. There was not a single bird that took any extra shot other than the ones we killed, we didn't lose any. We were out of there in an hour. And that's that's not good enough for some people watching the video. Uh, Dale Smith says, you guys pass on so many shots. You guys could have limited easy. Well, we did limit. But we did pass on shots. And, and again, part of it, now I, I will say that Fumbles went through a segment here of passing on so many shots that I was teasing him about it. But there's enjoyment in the spectacle. There's enjoyment of the visuals you see. You don't have to pull the trigger every second at every opportunity. Ian Sanner said, it made, me mad. it made him mad. It made me mad seeing all those birds working perfectly and y'all not shoot. It made him mad. He's watching a video of world-class teal hunting where hunters miss two shots, wound no birds, and it made him mad. I don't even know what you do with a guy that has that, that, that mentality. That's his mentality. I mean, what do you, what do you do with someone? I mean, I, I, there's a, it's a comment, so I don't have to do anything with it, but it's like, there's people out there like that, like this. And it's so, it's just so foreign. Here's another one. I dislike the video because y'all kept letting so many birds fly instead of killing them. 
when you have a good spot like that and you're educating all the boards before they go to Louisiana. <laughs> I mean, at some point, all you can do is just giggle, right? <laughs> like, where do these guys come from? We shot two shots above the minimum shots needed to shoot our limit. And somehow we're educating them. So, interesting comments, interesting thoughts to think about. Uh, so I was talking previously about the article that I found from Texas Department of Wildlife and Parks. If you put in wounded, loss, Texas Department of Wildlife and Parks, I'm sure you can find it. It's just a small brochure. And I'm pretty dang sure that they got this off of Tom Roster's studies that he did back in the, I think, mid-80s. They're pretty dated. I'm just going to kind of go through some of the information. So wounded loss is defined by the number of percentage of animals that are shot but not retrieved. In bird hunting, this includes the ones that are shot and cannot be found and birds that are hit and fly away. So the ones we talked about with the twitch, right? Using a conservative estimate, this is they're saying this is a conservative estimate, 25% wounded loss for ducks and geese. Approximately 3.5 million waterfowl are lost in the U.S. and Canada each year to a wounding loss. <coughs> and I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I have referred to this as waterfowl's dirty little secret. Waterfowl's dirty little secret. Think of all of the other hunting types other than waterfowl hunting. Dove hunting, upland, deer, turkey. Is there any way possible that there's any other type of hunting that yields more wounded birds than waterfowl? I don't think so. And I think it is waterfowl's dirty little secret. And I think if we don't get it under control, as hunter numbers dwindle, because these groups that, like PETA, these anti-hunting groups, they're not onto it yet. So, shh. They're not onto it yet. Because when they protest, you don't, they, they, they're taking the wrong angle. It's the wounded birds and waterfowl hunting that is is the the big problem. And as a community, we have we've got to do a better job than what we're doing now. So, three point five million waterfowl lost year, twenty five percent wounded loss. And again, I think that that is when I saw it before twenty five percent. It's either twenty five percent of all birds hit or twenty five percent of all shots fired. I'm not sure. So causes of wounded loss, poor shooting skills, shooting beyond the maximum effective distance of the equipment, shooting into flocks, shooting the lead bird in a flock, taking going away shots at birds over 30 yards. See, I would have said 40. They put that at 30. More than two hunters shooting at a time, which I'm going to talk about that one in a second. I'm going to talk about some of these in a second. Not immediately going to pick up down birds not using a retriever. So let's go through those. Poor shooting skills. All of us can practice more. All of us can get to the trap range more, right? And I think that, I know it's not for all of you guys. I know it's not because I've had a lot of people tell me, but keeping your shooting percentage 
is the number one way to wound less birds. If you get into your shooting percentage, I promise you, you will stop pulling the trigger so much. It took me probably three years. Season one of HGFDH, I thought about, I shot about 35%. Season two, I shot about 38%. During these years, I was struggling to limit that third shot. I really got into my shooting percentage just for fun. I didn't, I got into shooting percentage because of vanity. I'll be honest with you. It was not because of trying to be ethical, but in doing so, I noticed how many more less wounded birds that, the, that you see fly away. So that if you want, if you want to have your, if you want to wound less birds, keep track of your shooting percentage. Now, again, like I said, it's not for everyone. It does take a lot of diligence to do shooting beyond the maximum effective distance of the equipment. How can we, how can we better deal with that is targeting, um, patterning your gun with your shells for sure. And knowing your, knowing your chokes foot range and also being able to judge distance properly, shooting into flocks, shooting the lead bird in a flock. That's interesting. I've never really thought about that. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a pass shooting thing. Cause if they're, if they're finishing, you don't have an issue with that more than 200 shooting at a time. And this is something that I've realized that a lot of people don't do. If there's four people there and you got, you know, I'd say if an entire flock comes in, but if you can have four people there and three bird comes, three birds come in, why not just have two people shoot? And not immediately picking up down birds, which is something that I've always found strange that people do. I'm not saying this is wrong. I've found it strange because we've never done that, especially with our retrievers. It's like we, we love the aspect of our retrievers so much. You dog guys know this too, probably, that when you drown, when you down, when you down a bird, you want your dog. You want it, the, the, the dog work is a huge part of the game. And so when people let, you know, six, seven, eight birds sit out there in the water, I've never understood it because it's like this dog work is the thing, man. That is so much fun. When I shoot a bird, everything. Now, there are times when we wait, but not very often. I want, and also I want to touch that bird. I want to see that bird. I want to look at its feathers. I want to, this is what I came here to do. This is what I have, right? I want to be able to do that. So I, I'm certainly an advocate of not picking up your birds quickly. So here's what they thought about the ways to reduce wounded loss was practice shotgunning year round, only shoot birds that are within range for you. And that is important. Like Titus and Thomas out there in California, he's keeping track of his shooting percentage. Let me look that up real quick. Cause I can actually see it. Um, he's keeping track of his shooting percentage. If you watch Titus's videos, they definitely now not, the last few years, this isn't maybe as true because they've started hunting new places and the shots have become a lot closer, but they are not afraid to shoot a 50-yard shot, which I will say, if you look at full choke range distances, it does say it's lethal to at, out to 50. I certainly don't like 50-yard shots at all, but that that's what they say. So let me check what Titus's shooting percentage is right now let me sort this real quick sorry for the delay <clears throat> but because he shoots a lot farther shots than i shoot and he is a much better shot that i know he's a much better shot at longer shots than i am i know he is right so i'm curious 
his shooting percentage is 44%, which is nothing to slouch at. So if I were shooting the shots that Titus shoots a lot of times, I don't think I would shoot 44%. And so that's one thing about myself I have to know is that I can't take some of the shots that Titus takes because I'm not as good a shooter as he is at those distances. So it's important to really be honest with yourself about your personal range. So kudos for Titus for shooting 40%. That's impressive. Use the correct load and choke combination. Pattern test your gun, load and choke combinations. Isolate birds on the edge and rear of flocks, which I can tell you I never do that. <clears throat> Don't shoot another bird while retrieving a bird. And that's what we talked about with the teal hunting. It's like if you're in the decoys walking around, maybe don't pop in another one unless it's real close. I don't know. Do not hunt in areas where you're likely not going to be able to find a downbird. I saw a guy at when I was teal hunting this year, and he set up with his spinner in the thickest vegetation ever. And so maybe that's not something to do as well. So that's that topic. I don't know. I think it's fun to talk about that stuff. And I hope that as you guys go away, have some of these conversations in your groups. Bring them up. Bring up the conversation of, the because I think this is a really interesting to hear what people say on. Bring up the conversation of a deer, the value of a deer's life versus the value of a duck's life. And just hear what people say. Some people may say they have no value at all either of them but give it like a ranking what would you say a deer's the life of a buck let's say a buck versus a green head mallard out of a scale of one to ten how much value does a deer a, a buck's life have how much value does it and get that conversations going in your groups just get them going hear what people say bring the topic up so it's at least in people's minds and again i am not a saint on this i take shots i shouldn't take i wound birds i shouldn't wound there are times where I catch myself stretching my shots every now and then and not thinking these things. So I am not a saint on this at all. But I think that as a, as a community, as a group, we need to be having these more conversations with other people and just getting it reverberating where it's something that people talk about. Well, I think that I am going to end this right here. If you guys that are here, thank you for hanging around for so long. Um, and those of you, if you hear this podcast and you're not a member of Patreon, go to patreon.com slash hunting, and you can join these events as well with the group of patrons. And also I'm going to have, I already have two episodes on Patreon that will only always be on Patreon. You can hear those there. So I'll just hang on a couple minutes. If any of you that are still hanging around, if you have any comments or questions, that you want to ask, I will do that. The rest of you that are listening to this publicly, thank you again for joining the North American Waterfowler. And again, come over to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting and get with the rest of us and be able to actually see this stuff live. So thank you so much for being here on the North American Waterfowler. I will catch you on the next one.